Hi, friends. Thank you for listening to the Homes and Havens podcast, a place for conversations about home, healing, hospitality, and recovery. I cannot wait to introduce our guest for this episode, my good friend, Katie Woodruff. Katie is a kind, beautiful soul who practices as a therapist here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Her sensitivity, compassion, and wisdom is something I deeply appreciate, especially as we engage with charged subjects such as trauma and addiction. This is the first episode of our two-part conversation. This first episode will cover what trauma is and how it manifests itself in our emotional, physical, and psychological health. The next episode will cover the hope to be found in recovery and what happens when therapy works. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed spending time with my friend Katie. I'm so excited for this. I've literally <laughs> been waiting weeks for this to happen. Are you really? Yes, honestly. Okay. <laughs> um, so just start by telling us who you are okay. and kind of where you are in your career path journey. And um, then we'll get into the good stuff. Okay. Um, so I'm Katie Woodruff. I am a marriage and family therapist and currently um, working as a family counselor for Families First. So mainly clients are um, single parents under the poverty line struggling to um, just make it so that receiving temporary assistance from the government right now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, working towards licensure been doing that for a while. How far are you away? Um, I think. Think about two months. Oh my gosh, it's so close. I, yeah, I think one more month of supervision and then the tests. Okay. And then I think hopefully yeah. <laughs> I'll be licensed. So I've done several different community mental health agencies and private practice, but um, stitching all those experiences mm-hmm. together has given me all the client hours. So I'm good on that. That's great. But supervision's taking forever. Yeah. I can't imagine the whole process of that, the outline of process mm-hmm. to become a license. Oh, yeah. We could do a podcast on that. And oh, it my would gosh. Blow yeah. Everyone's minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is important when you're trusting your mental health to someone or just that emotional um, issue that you're trying to resolve with a therapist. Yeah. They, they have gone through the ringer for sure. Yeah. That's and a- I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding about like going to see a counselor is just they think maybe it's just someone who really likes to listen to people. Yeah. I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> it's really hard. Try to apply for a grad program and see <laughs> right, yeah. what is required. Yeah. It's extensive <laughs> for sure. And um, yeah, hopefully that they've also been doing personal work too. So if it's a, you know, a complete person with the knowledge of mm. the other person, but also a personal understanding of uh, what this looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Thanks. We should have a big party for you after. I think so too. Yeah. I think you're all think, invited I to. Think, yeah. <laughs> we'll send the address and details. Absolutely. Yeah. We could have it here. No. Show up at Homes and Havens yeah. anytime. Oh, that would be gifts. fun. Yeah, that'd be great. I feel like every therapist needs a big celebration. I think finish. so too. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. It's crazy. Well, I'm so excited. Today we're going to be talking about... Um, trauma Mm -hmm. and that is really important to obviously the work that homes and havens does just because we um use trauma-informed design on all of our clients homes and being trauma-informed is something important to us as a company culture um and as an organization culture but also um and i feel like trauma-informed is becoming more 
of a term that people may be familiar with, mm-hmm. um, especially our partners or agencies that are referring clients to us. Um, you can kind of see their eyes light up when I mention trauma-informed design yes. because it is something that they are um, being made aware of, yeah. I think, more and more in these kind of types of work. But for our listeners, we did want to go through um, just talking about what trauma is, what trauma isn't. Mm-hmm. Um the different types of trauma. Yeah. And so I'd love for you to speak to some of that. Okay. Yeah. So the, I think the most, the most well-known type of trauma or maybe just diagnosis would be PTSD. Right. So post-traumatic stress disorder became a diagnosis. Um, you know, after Vietnam, a lot of soldiers mm-hmm. were coming back. And these red blooded American males were showing, quote unquote, crazy symptoms, you know. So um, the criteria for PTSD is it has to meet a couple categories, but um, mainly like intrusive symptoms. So that would be having flashbacks or nightmares or unwanted Mm. thoughts about the event, Um, avoidant behaviors. So avoiding any sort of reminder of the bad thing that happened that could Mm. include substance abuse, too. Um, And then just changes in mood and thinking. So whereas someone maybe before the event was happy-go-lucky or just kind of even keeled, Mm. the event happens and there's just a marked difference in like constant irritability or anger or depression. Mm. And then the thought piece would be believing it's their fault for the most part. Yeah. Um, But that could be other things too. That could be believing it's like wholly someone else's fault too. Oh, and then the the last piece of PTSD is um, the change in like reactivity and arousal. So being hypervigilant all the time, always scanning for threat, you know, mm. hitting the ground when a car backfires, right. you know, so that's so those are really the classic symptoms of um, someone who's been through something like um, battle or any event where you fear your life is in danger or you you um see witness someone else life's that in mm. danger um so it's a pretty specific it might not be just one event but it's a all, when all the symptoms are linked you can trace them back to maybe right. an event or a series of events mm. um there's like a before and after so um that works really well for for these single incident things so um Another type of trauma that's not in the DSM yet, but has been kind of a, um, it's basically been a, a, a catchphrase since early 90s. This lady, Judith Herman, she was really big and just getting trauma information out there and really fleshing it all out. So she coined this term complex PTSD. So CPTSD. Oh. And so um, what she was noticing was that there's a um, similar to PTSD, but different in range type of symptoms that present in folks who have prolonged, repeated experience of interpersonal trauma. And that would be in a context in which they have little or no chance of escape. So kids, mm. I mean, kids in any sort of abusive situation, they don't have power, they can't escape or adults that just maybe they don't see an option out. Um, domestic violence, that right. kind of thing. Um, so this is really just like the layering on of trauma day in and day out that comes with our soul 
like desire to be attached to another person and that attachment getting thwarted and it's it's a lot of pain so the the symptoms that she um that she outlined um there's six six main ones or categories but the um the main two are just like a core sense of being flawed or inherently broken Mm. unfixable um and then an inability to regulate or be able to quote-unquote handle emotions okay so you know that could be like everything feels like chaos or everything feels overwhelming whereas an outside person would say it's just a small thing right you know what's your reaction Mm. um so other symptoms for cptsd would be difficulty staying present so that could be amnesia or dissociation feeling out of body It could be reliving experiences like a flashback or something like an emotional flashback where you just get stuck in a strong emotion and that just stays, Mm. you know, you can't, you don't have have a lot of control over it. Um, An unrealistic view of the perpetrator. So that could be like revenge fantasies or seeing that person as godlike and having total power. Mm. Um, Difficulty in relationships with others alternating between isolating and withdrawing or connection it's it's always it feels tenuous like Mm. it never feels completely safe um we're constantly looking for someone to rescue you yeah um and then and then an overall loss of a system of meaning so things don't really seem like they're working out in your favor faith is difficult uh just continued hopelessness and Mm. despair so this is a range. CPTSD could be on the low end where mm-hmm. some of these things are present and then on the high end where all of it is full blown. You right. know, some people just have kind of a chronic sense of low grade depression mm-hmm. and it's it's difficult in in the CPTSD situation to trace it back to a certain event. A lot of times people wonder, like, why? Why do I feel this way and act this way and do these things? Like nothing bad happened to me, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of denial too. Yeah. Do you think that for people with um, the more complex trauma, mm-hmm. that it's harder for them to, in a sense, do the work of why are my emotions so dysregulated mm-hmm. and different things and really sitting with someone long enough to investigate all the complexities of their trauma instead of like, well, there wasn't one thing that happened in my past, right. um, but really kind of peeling back layer by layer, mm-hmm. all of these dysfunctions or um, abuse or just, you know, situations that, you know, they couldn't escape. And it was so subtle. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I feel like that would be so much harder. I know in my own life, the subtle things, yes. the subtle dysfunctions or even abuse situations that were were more covert mm-hmm, than just mm-hmm. like outright aggressive. Yes. Um, are so much harder for me to name in myself yes. and um, and really kind of pinpoint a healing path, mm-hmm. you know, through it's like. Even when you're sharing your story with someone, it's not like you have this dramatic one instance, but it's like, how do you even find the words to describe your complex trauma? Right. I think there's a lot of, I think shame could fit into Mm -hmm. a lot of these, maybe the core sense of being flawed is like what plays into that is I have no reason to feel this way. Like there is a belief that unless it's war or um, like a rape, uh, mm-hmm. a, a really terrible car accident, you know, 
that um that that it's just who the person is right you know because this complex trauma gets embedded in your whole identity right so you become a person who's dramatic per se mm. or um you know an, an eeyore just kind of yeah. constantly seeing they're so negative you know mm. um so yeah i think it's it's one part of it is that it can just feel really baffling mm. and not having that one thing to point to, um, especially if you still have a relationship with your family and, right. you know, the system that nurtured you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to see like trauma and not think, oh, those people were bad. Right. And something bad happened to me. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's no clear enemies. Yes. It's, you know, it's really close relationships yeah. that, you know, you can't imagine your life without exactly. or there's not a clear like, I'm going to cut this one person, this yes. one negative person out of my life. Yes. Um. Sometimes even, you know, it can just keep layering and layering mm-hmm. on. Um. So in a hidden way. Mm-hmm. But um is equally as traumatic. Yeah, absolutely. And the damage I'm sure is um very similar. Yeah. To yeah, all it just that. Kind of affects your soul in a right. way. Yeah. Um what are some of the differences that you've seen as far as the different types of damage that it's done if any mm-hmm. um between like a severe like a PTSD kind of trauma versus like someone that's dealing with complex trauma? Mm-hmm. Well, I have noticed that the two, like if someone has complex, a complex trauma history, they're far more likely to also have PTSD experiences because mm. they're just more vulnerable in a yeah. sense. So I think with people that have come with with PTSD, um, there's a lot more like therapeutic models that like EMDR that are really good for targeting that memory that keeps you awake and the flashbacks. Like it's almost comforting when someone comes with a PTSD diagnosis because I know more ways to help. Gotcha. um, Like systematically. Mm. Then complex trauma, I think I'm still struggling with, so does everyone have complex trauma? Right. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm I'm still struggling with knowing like when is a, a time to see that as maybe just an adjustment disorder. Maybe they're just um, adjusting to a hard phase of life or um, a season of depression or what what have you. Mm-hmm. Or like maybe they have a, a full blown mood disorder like bipolar or something. Right. Um, so I do think this is probably why complex trauma is not in the DSM mm. besides just politics in general. Right. <laughs> is that it's just really it's kind of a beast, you mm. know. So, um, yeah, de- defining it and then fixing it. I have noticed that I have, you know, my radar is more up for when people come in with they'll say these symptoms, but in different language. Yeah. You know, like more everyday language. So I've definitely noticed pick up on that more um and it really helped to use just like concrete resources like mindfulness and grounding like it's definitely not just like an out of control animal like Mm -hmm. it's definitely doable especially noticing like which category right of, of things 
you fall into mm-hmm. or your symptoms are falling into. Mm-hmm. Um, and to know that there are like specific ways you can fix them. But yeah, there's just, sometimes there's just so many that takes a while to realize like, oh, this might be complex trauma. Right. Yeah. I feel like it's, um, I've noticed being in our current culture and society, how, and I appreciate this is something good I can say about our culture and society Mm -hmm. is that awareness is slowly being developed Mm -hmm. about, I, I don't think I've ever seen a time in my life where I've heard as much about trauma and just the awareness of trauma, Mm -hmm. um, even linked to um, just common um, issues that we face. I mean, we've had multiple discussions Mm -hmm. about just trauma in in relation to addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And how um, it's it's creating a more holistic picture of what is happening in your body and in your mind. Yes. Um, And I think. it's fascinating. I mean, to understand and really lean into being curious about those complexities instead of, oh, well, just someone won't stop drinking or they're just right. or they're labeled as like, oh, they're just a drunk right. or like they just woke up one day and decided to be a drunk. Right. And that is a very naive and ignorant yeah. opinion of yes. people because we are so complex. Yes. And our stories didn't start there. Yeah. And so I think, um, I mean, even in the work of Homes and Havens, that was something that, because we serve so many various types of um, women overcoming specific crises or specific traumas. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you look at homelessness, you look at domestic violence, you look at sex trafficking, you look at addiction, you look at incarceration Mm -hmm. and all of those things can trigger illicit reactions from people of their opinion of that person or that woman immediately of like, you know, they were in prison, so they must be bad or they were an addict, so they must be bad. Mm -hmm. Or, and I think for me, it was really pressing into what is the common link between all of us, including myself of it's only by the grace of God that I didn't, that I wasn't presented opportunities that yeah. I could have made another choice. Absolutely. And I think that common thread throughout all of these women that I met with was trauma mm-hmm. and something either like a, a one-time instance, like a rape or yeah. a domestic violence situation yeah. or, um, you know, a substance abuse issue yeah. um, triggered you know, such a a lifestyle of brokenness and just trying to climb out or not knowing how, what door to choose to get out of the situation. Right. Or how to cope with the pain Mm -hmm. from it. Yes. And I think I feel such a connection to our clients and just people in general um, because of my growing understanding of trauma. Yeah. And understanding that it didn't just happen, but something either happened to us Mm -hmm. that we were not, we didn't have the tools in our tool belt to deal with Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, And therefore on this journey of trying to repair, in a sense, what's been done to us or what we've done um, to others and to ourselves and trying to climb out of that. Um, And so I think. I appreciate the work that so many other people are doing on this issue of trauma and how that affects not only the work that we do at Homes and Havens, but 
just understanding and compassion in general. And I think once you kind of dive into the complexities of what trauma does to our bodies and our minds, Mm -hmm. um, the compassion starts to follow. Yes. And so I'd love for you to speak a little bit about the effects of trauma on the mind and body. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really exciting. I'm with you about it being exciting when you hear about um, trauma informed practices or research um, because it's, it ends up giving this like very validating effect Mm. that it it's not just that you are inherently flawed and broken like it's i think that's why i've dug so deep into f- understanding the mechanisms of it and and what happens because it's really it's very empowering to know um that you're not just a a bad at being a human right you know yeah. like you needed certain things when you were younger mm-hmm. um, and now and either you didn't get them or they were used against you mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever, subtle or, you know, hardcore. Yeah. Um, but the the development is affected by that. Mm-hmm. And I think you asked um, how trauma affects the yeah, body, the and, body the brain. and the mind. Yeah. So one big study that was done between 95 and 97 um, was by a. Uh, health insurance company and um they did research on all of their employees. So this is um like 17,000 white middle to upper class uh-huh. uh, employed have health insurance. So keep that in mind when we're talking about like the results cuz yeah. it is worse for minorities, but th- like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is um that's the population here, but okay. so they measured adverse child experience adverse childhood experiences um and there were 10 items that they measured. So um, those items were, and you you mark which one. And so your score is that many out of 10. Um, so living with an alcoholic parent, um, living with a parent who had a mental illness or attempted suicide, losing a family member to incarceration, divorce, or abandonment. Um, experiencing abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, experiencing neglect, or witnessing family violence. Mm. Um, so for each one of those, mm-hmm. they found that the risk of having impaired mental, physical, and behavioral health was high. Um, with the when people got up to about a four. ACE, then that's when they really started noticing that their risks were a lot higher. Mm. Um, So what they found was, you know, specific to um, trauma and addiction, that for each um, ACE, each one, a person has their risk for developing a substance abuse problem increased two to four times. Wow. And they also found that about two thirds of injection drug users um, had really traumatic high ACE scores. Um, and like I said, these were like pretty stable folks. Yeah. Um, so what happens basically is that, um, each of these items represents something that's stressful and they ended up calling it toxic stress. Mm. Um, and so they realized that toxic stress changes the brain. So in response to it, especially in a developing child, all all the questions were asked prior to age 18. Did you experience these things? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So in response to the toxic stress, 
um, stress hormones flood the body to get prepared for survival because they, mm-hmm. you know you can't tell if it's a life threat. I mean, it doesn't matter at that point because you're just your body's getting ready to survive. Um, so that you know, lots of cortisol and adrenaline, and it stops the brain and body from some unnecessary functions like thinking critically, using impulse control, making wise decisions, and emotional regulation. So at this point, those systems are now compromised. Um, And then when this happens, you know, every once in a while, your body can return to a normal state. And, you know, you start getting normal blood flow and Mm. you're the front part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex really comes online and, um, you know, it's, it's normal. That's what the body is made for is to handle these threat situations. But when the threats just don't stop. So this toxic, um, complex continued Mm. trauma, the body just never gets a chance to readjust. So, you know, I think one interesting, one of many interesting things is that like, um, the part of the brain that regulates emotion, the amygdala, it really just takes over um, because emotion is necessary for survival. Fear is really important. Right. Um, so what it's doing is it's just ruling everything. And then you you have a hard time differentiating what's uh, dangerous and what's not dangerous right. and who's dangerous and which relationships are, you know. So then these symptoms just start to develop and you know the younger a child is the the tougher it is on their brain development to Mm -hmm. even get to a a normal place you know Mm. and what's crazy is like um these are so subtle Mm -hmm. they feel so much a part of who you are Mm -hmm. in your personality Mm -hmm. like um it really takes someone to come alongside of you um and help you identify characteristics and behavior patterns that you have that are not healthy yes and um and I think a lot of times when we get older like I'm in my 30s now Mm -hmm. you start seeing the consequences of operating Mm -hmm. out of that that place Mm -hmm. and not being you know my body is not at a state of rest very often yeah and yeah. I feel like that exhaustion starts to kick in later in life mm-hmm. and it causes um, more damage because yeah. out of that exhaustion, you're just kind of walking through life, behaving the way you've always behaved because you were coping. Yeah. And and I'm not dissing coping mechanisms either because mm-hmm. they have a place in our body is so insane and mm-hmm. crazy, beautiful yeah. on how our body is able to respond to real and traumatic threats. Mm -hmm. And um, just the fact that our body is able to shut down not necessary aspects of our personality or just our body functions in order to survive a threat. Right. It's just incredible. Who cares about being wise? Or growing fingernails or, you know, (laughs) like your body is knowing, you know, like there's a bear in front of you. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Yeah. You're just trying to survive the next 30 seconds. Yes, absolutely. But living a life that way will kill you. And I think that's what you're describing is like your body is at high risk for major shutdowns. Yes. And that's where the physical piece of ACEs comes in is what they realized was the the like all out attack on your immune system because it's always it's always being overworked, you know? Overworked, yeah. So, you know, 
we know that stress damages the immune system, mm-hmm. a chronic stress. Some stress is good for it. Right. Keep strong. But yeah. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, that that would just weakens you and and opens you to a host of all sorts of medical issues. I mean, mm. uh, in in this uh, one that they mentioned pretty often is heart disease and cancer. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, big yeah. stuff that, um, you know, I find I realized having just friends in the medical field that they are seeing a lot more um, quote unquote like wacky stuff uh-huh. than I'm seeing in the therapy room because a lot of these things can end up over the years manifesting in maybe some like really mysterious illnesses mm. that um, can't be traced to a thing or treated with medicine. And it's just like kind of taking over a person's life. Mm. Um, but it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense until we know this information that it could be related to um, stress. And then this study really defining stress as certain things in relationship with a caregiver Mm. that you experience. Right. So taking, you know, like this 70 year old man that comes in with, you know, phantom limb pain or I don't know, whatever, you know, like Uh it's generally not, it's pretty like laughable to ask, like, what was your childhood like? You know? Well, and I think that's something, um, and it may be changing in this millennial generation, Mm -hmm. but, um, I've noticed my various experiences talking about mental health. And even when I share about what Homes and Havens does and we talk about trauma, mm-hmm. um, the disconnect, I feel like a, a lot of people in the generation before me and then their generation. So two generations before my generation is very confused that mental health affects our physical body. Yes, they, absolutely. I feel like there's this idea that your mind and your emotions are in one box Mm -hmm. and your body is completely separate and unconnected (laughs) from your emotions and your brain. Yeah. And I think that's what's fascinating about these studies is they are, we are all woven into Mm -hmm. one person and that includes our mind and that includes our body and um, the effects that mental health has on physical health. Yeah, I think there's definitely been a um a shift uh, hopefully, but I know that a um former generation way of thinking is is really seeing emotions as frivolous. Right. And um and and knowing that they are necessary for survival. So some of these um some of these early attachment systems that get compromised by stress like um the ones i'm thinking of mainly are um the natural opiate system so your body Mm. produces natural endorphins etc to um increase bonding so Mm. you know when a child is breastfeeding Mm -hmm. it's got oxytocin pumping through its body and the mother's body to help them bond together because that's necessary for the baby's survival Mm -hmm. it can't survive unless the mother knows to react to its crying face and feed it exactly you know like there there's such a a mind body Mm -hmm. link for survival that really like I think the idea is once you're not like breastfeeding or a helpless baby anymore, then um, any sort of emotional expression is is frivolous. Right. You know, um, but to know that attachment is still important in adults. I mean, this is how people 
leave home and generally find a partner mm-hmm. or community or something. And the way that we elicit interaction with other people is we show them our emotions. Yeah. Like if I'm sad, that's showing you that I need something. something from you. And whenever we connect in that way, my body releases natural opiates. Right. So when that gets compromised, you can see how easy it would be to use unnatural mm-hmm. opiates exactly to feel a sense of pleasure and calm mm-hmm. and even attachment and love too right. it's just fascinating yeah yeah it is and and that's the thing is the body is supposed to be producing all these things um and it does but mm-hmm. when it when it gets cut off from that people are really just trying to survive with mm-hmm. these different um, substances. Mm-hmm. I mean, they each provide something that the body is naturally supposed to be providing. Yeah. Um, I would love for you to speak a little bit more to um, specifically on this idea of addiction, mm-hmm. trauma, and kind of what we were just talking about. Yeah. Because I feel like um, I would probably say out of the categories of women we serve, mm-hmm the most questions or um, misunderstanding, I guess, Mm -hmm. is about um, addiction and women who have abused a substance um, to survive or just a lifestyle of that. And um, I think all of us, and I usually, whenever I'm sharing about what Homes and Havens does, I try to help everyone sit in their seat and think about all of us are touched by this. Mm -hmm. All of us have either suffered ourselves Mm -hmm. or have been touched by someone we love that has had this struggle. I don't feel like we're in a culture where no one would have had an experience with addiction and whether that was, you know, them as an individual or a close relative or a friend or whatever. Yeah. And so it is an epidemic and it is um, something we need to have our eyes open Mm -hmm. about, but it's not just the old mentality isn't working Mm -hmm. about how we view addicts. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to, for you to speak some more into the link, of trauma and addiction and just what that looks like in the body and yeah and and that kind of thing yeah and yeah and I think when you're talking about addicts um it's like the gamut between the the mom that gets everything done and is having a bottle of wine a night just to to make it through um and then the homeless person who's talking to themselves on the street with whiskey in their hand or something. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, <clears throat> you know, when we talk about like what's, there's a obviously a level of severity with it, but um, you know, for that, and I'm, I'm speaking of women mainly, but definitely men mm-hmm. too, obviously mm-hmm. um, there's, yeah, there's a level of a functionality that, um, that I think really just speaks to the fact that, substances are really acting as a replacement for something that person's not getting. So, um, Mm -hmm. and it really perpetuates itself because if you're not getting it, but you're substituting it yourself with alcohol or drugs or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, you're really able to keep going. I mean, you might have like some pretty bad hangovers or Mm -hmm. be tired, but you're able to do all the stuff you need to do. Um, but you know, I think one thing, uh, I've heard about when people stop using um go to aa or na or something and then kind of become a dry drunk 
So not mm. using the substance, but those you still don't have that replacement for exactly what you need, you mm. know, um, which is why those groups are so helpful is that you start to get the human connection that you that you really need and the support and the encouragement. You start to see yourself as a whole full person again. Um, I mean, this is why like stable housing is so important because even just having safe physical safety. Mm hmm. So I'll talk about the three brain systems that are like affected by addiction. Yes. Okay. So um, one that we talked about a little bit was the prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, your forehead right between your eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and that is kind of call that the CEO of the brain. It's mm -hmm. the executive decision maker. Um all of those impulses and emotions, like they're all connected to that. And the CEO, the prefrontal cortex really helps you make the decision. Um, so there's that one. There's the experience of pleasure and love. So which are those like opiates, endorphins, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, and then there's a system that helps us stay motivated. So that's really like dopamine where that affects the system. Um, dopamine is pretty much a reward for uh, seeking after a goal. Um, with short term, long term, that kind of thing. But it's the pleasure you experience from it keeps you going. Yeah. Um. So in addiction, all three of those, like we talked about the toxic stress affecting the brain, it really affects those areas the most mm -hmm. for an addict. So when a person's um, and we don't understand why a person can't get clean or maybe if they're just a problem drinker and we all see the problem, but they maybe see it too. Maybe they hate themselves, but they just can't stop mm. um, like more of a physical dependence. Then, you know, what's happening, we kind of have to put on like our x-ray goggles and realize that the, the brain is compromised. The mm. part that's able to tell them this doesn't make sense enough. This is really affecting my life more negatively than positively. Right. Um, it's it's not strong enough to make that decision, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just important when we are talking about addicts or really frustrated by them. This doesn't mean that like all behavior is OK by right. any means. This is just knowing what's going to work and, and not getting frustrated trying to do the things that don't work. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like the idea of reasoning with someone yes. who's intoxicated is impossible. Or a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, I think that understanding um, and early on dealing with some loved ones that were struggling with mm -hmm. alcoholism, mm -hmm. um, I received some advice from a counselor that said, don't reason, mm -hmm. don't use your relationship as leverage because it's not that's not even strong enough. Like yeah. even a parent child bond yeah. is not strong enough in the face of what is happening in that person's brain and yeah. the dependence. Yeah. And, um, and so it's not that necessarily the, the person who's addicted, it, doesn't care about you, mm -hmm. but it's because their brain is incapable of reasoning through. Yes. Like, so if I don't stop drinking, she's not going to keep, she's not going to see me anymore. Right. That doesn't even register. Yeah. They, but to us, it seems so assaulting yes. because we're like, you don't understand you. I don't matter to you enough yeah. that you won't stop drinking, that you won't stop using. Yeah. And I see that a lot with friends and, um, 
just people I've come in contact with in light of my story as well is I have a loved one that's struggling with addiction as well. And I've tried this and I've tried that. Mm. And they're using as leverage what in their mind is the most costly, Mm -hmm. um, expensive, Mm -hmm. in a sense, connection to that person is what they're threatening. Yes. And but the addict is not able to even recognize the weight of what they're threatening. Yes. If that makes sense. And so it. It isn't effective. Yes. It's yeah. And and that I think eventually, you know, there's a sense where you set boundaries. Mm-hmm. I'm in no position to tell someone exactly what to do because it's very complicated. It's very complicated. Especially when you love that person. Right. Um, but there's a difference between boundaries. And I think people get to cut off a lot of times because they're so frustrated and hurt that their efforts aren't helping Mm. and it is i mean it's just a horrible place to be to watch someone some so maybe you know you get distance because you need to that's all of that stuff fine Mm -hmm. um but it it can feel like beating your head against a wall because the ways that you think and feel and the love that you have Mm -hmm. is just it's not getting through right and understanding Mm -hmm. that it's not personal right it's just what their body is doing. Their brain is so damaged yeah. in this, this, you know, season or set of circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's giving them, I mean, really a lot of times it's giving them the life that they need. <clears throat> right. And in their opinion to stop doing that mm-hmm. feels like death. Yeah. More so than you giving up on them. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just a scared child mm-hmm. syndrome. Yeah. And their body feels like it's exactly. Dying. Yeah. And and really for a lot of folks, if you do just let them go into straight withdrawal, it is terrible. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's really life threatening mm-hmm. to let a really hardcore addict do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, centers that medically monitor those kind of things are pretty important. Very important. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this important conversation with my friend Katie Woodruff. I hope it provided some helpful information about trauma and how our body and brain process it. Please join us for the next episode describing the hope that recovery offers everyone. For more information on Homes and Havens, please visit our website, homesandhavens.org.